You are listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for Plano Pulse with your hosts, Jamie Jolly and Jeff Beckley. Thank you for tuning to Plano Pulse, recorded here at the Plano Chamber of Commerce office located in the Legacy Texas Business Center. I'm Jamie Jolly, President and CEO of the Plano Chamber of Commerce. And I'm Jeff Beckley, 2018 Board Chair of the Plano Chamber. So we're really glad to have you join us today for today's podcast. In this episode, we're going to really be diving into a topic of public education. Uh, Before we get started and introduce you to our guests, we'd like to take a moment to share a message from our sponsor of today's episode, CoServe. Plano relies on CoServe to power many of its homes and businesses. But did you know CoServe also empowers the Plano community through schools and nonprofit organizations? The CoServe Charitable Foundation funds grants for organizations like City House, Children's Advocacy Center of Collin County, and Plano ISD Education Foundation to help ensure Plano's bright future. Learn more at coserve.com community. Thanks again to our friends at CoServe for sponsoring today's episode. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to discuss public education today, and we're very fortunate to be joined by an expert in the field, Garrett Landry. Garrett is the Senior Officer of Education Strategies at the Williams Family Foundation, based here in Dallas, Texas. The Williams Family Foundation founders, Todd and Abby Williams, are advocates for public education, and in 2012 founded COMMIT, Garrett, we're very happy to have you, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So um, we're going to kind of dive in, and um, obviously the work of the Williams Family Foundation and COMMIT has been focused on um, really on the outcomes of public education. But before we get into the details, um, we've had the pleasure of getting to know you and working with you, but our listeners haven't yet. So could you give us a brief history about yourself and what led you to the work that you're doing today with COMMIT? Sure. Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been with the foundation for about two and a half years now. But uh, prior to that, my uh, my career had been in, in policy and politics mostly. Not never really planned on um, entering public education. Um, so I had run campaigns. I worked in D.C. running the uh, National Student Leadership Program uh, for policy and politics. Um, and then I uh, on the campaign cycle back here in Texas. Um, was fortunate enough to meet uh, a justice of the peace who's a judge here in uh, Dallas County. She hired me as her chief of staff. And we had a a number of large dockets, but our largest docket was truancy. And this was back in 2011, when that was actually a criminal offense for kids not going to school. And we kept seeing the same types of kids over and over again in our court. Uh, They were non-English speaking parents. They were economically disadvantaged kids. And these were not bad kids. They were kids skipping a period here and there. And I didn't think that school systems were really asking enough of the right questions about why are these kids not going to school? Is it something with their curriculum, their teachers, their the school system itself? And so I spent about three years in the court and then finally uh, decided that I really wanted to get into the education policy sphere to really just get an understanding of what are these big systems look like. Because our school systems here in Texas, are they're quite large. There's over a thousand school districts. You look at a district like Dallas that has 20,000 employees, there's, there's massive systems. Um, and so that led me to an organization called Teaching Trust. Um, and then ultimately led me to Dallas ISD, where I served as uh, Superintendent Miles Special Assistant um, for uh, the last three years of his tenure there, when we were able to implement a lot of our really uh, innovative systems around teacher evaluation, teacher compensation, school choice models, et cetera. So um, 
it's a it's been a great journey. I will say that I will work in public education the rest of my career. Um, it's where my passion is, and I'm excited to to talk more about it. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, you mentioned uh, getting involved here locally in in uh, in the Dallas ISD. How does Texas compare to the nation, and specifically, how do the school districts here in our area in North Texas compare to Texas and the nation overall? Sure. Well, first of all, looking just at scale, uh, Texas educates one out of 10 kids in this country. And when you look at Dallas, Dallas educates about, or North Texas educates about one out of 10 kids in Texas. So what happens in North Texas is tremendously important for really the state and the country as a whole. Um, Texas is really famous when it comes to school funding um, for saying that we, we fund schools at pretty low levels and we get adequate outcomes, meaning the return on our investment for the money that we do put in, we get better outcomes. Um, but really what you're starting to have the conversation now is, is what would happen if we actually funded our schools at a level that was even uh, on par with maybe the, the median of our country? What would our outcomes look like at that point? And so um, we, we do well on graduation. We're one of the leading states in the country on graduation, and we can talk later about you know why that is and if that's really a metric we should be focused sure. on. Um, but if you look at like the nation's report card, which tracks states and urban districts over time, uh, we have consistently been losing ground on fourth and eighth grade reading and math uh, relative to our peers. Um, and so it's certainly something that we need to address, um, and there are all reasons for that, um, very specific reasons. Well, and I think a lot of folks like to think of the funding as, as kind of the leading edge to to improving education and, and clearly, you know, some of the information that you've shared with us indicates that Texas may be on the lower end of that spectrum. But beyond that, I mean, what states are doing education, well, public education well, and what can we in Texas and specifically here in North Texas learn from those other states? Yeah, I mean, so if you look at the, I mean, the top state across the board is Massachusetts in every content and every grade level. Uh, and they actually, if they fund, their per-pupil funding is about twice as much as we fund our students here in Texas. Now, that's not saying that Texas needs to go ahead and, and double its per sure, fund. That's sure. not realistic in terms of our legislature. Um, but, you know, there are um, there are certain states that, that focus on their accountability systems differently, that really um, focus on outcomes and, and drive their systems towards the outcomes that we want. So when we talk about graduation rates, Texas prioritizes high school graduation. Um, we don't even have to pass end of course exams to get a graduate to get your diploma anymore. You can do go through what's called graduation committees, and that's something that passed almost unanimously through our legislature, because we really wanted to drive up that college graduation number. But at the same time, if you look at those same kids and you look at how many of them got a college ready score on their ACT or SAT, only about 16% of them right. are getting college readiness scores on their. ACTs and SATs, which is largely what colleges and universities use for admittance. So really high graduation, really low college readiness. That's a big gap in our system. Sure. I Personally, I would be fine with graduation rates coming down if we could get college readiness rates sure. to come up, right? Because I Makes want that sense. piece of paper to mean something to kids when they go get into the workforce and get into, you know, looking at their jobs. You know, I think a Georgetown study out from 2008 or a Georgetown study came out last year said since 2008, 99% of new jobs require some sort of post-secondary certificate. So it's either a two-year, a four-year, or a, a, certif a certified credential for a trade industry. If our kids aren't getting those, it's going to be really hard for them to be successful uh, in their careers. Interesting. Well, and I think... Um one of the things I like about the Commit Partnership is um, you really focus on a lot of data, and some of that data looks at the metrics that reveal 
where are the deficiencies in public education in North Texas? And so if you can talk a little bit about what those metrics are that we should be looking at, but also for our, our listeners, um, what is Commit's website? Just so they want to look at that and see some of the information, um, some of the initiatives that they're working on. Sure. So um, the Commit Partnership is a it's a collective impact organization. It's one of the largest education collective impacts in the country. We have over you know two hundred partners, um, and like you said, we we work with data. We look at data. We're really lucky to be Texas is a very data rich state. We collect a whole lot of data. It's just very hard to find it and to be able to synthesize it into something that's usable, right? So we take all of the aggregate data and then we try to highlight bright spots around our region, around the state on what is working, what is not working. And then, you know, in both of those cases, are there specific reasons why? Are there initiatives? Are there programs, et cetera? So just because we track kids all the way from birth, age zero, all the way through 22, which is through post-secondary graduation. Um, and so the website for commit is commit, the number two, dallas.org. Um, and you can see we have dashboards available. And we really try to make it as, as easy as possible for community members, parents, educators to access the data, to see what the trends look like for their schools or their kids, um, just to try to, to paint the bigger picture. Because knowledge you know, it's really, knowledge is power in this to the sense that a lot of folks, even parents, um, don't really know how their whole campus is doing relative to, say, other campuses at like levels of poverty. Or So we, we try to look at data across a whole spectrum of different issues. Um, you asked about the metrics and where are some of the deficiencies in the system. And I think when you look at Texas, uh, I think it surprises people to realize that 60% of our students are economically disadvantaged in this state. We're a majority Latino state, right? So we have a high number of English language learners. And so when you look at subjects across the board, whether it's third grade reading, uh, algebra one, et cetera, we have significant achievement gaps by uh, family income and by race and ethnicity. And it is not just a situation where this is in urban districts only. This is in rural districts. This is in districts that you would say are are relatively affluent, right? Districts here in Collin County that are are top-notch districts in aggregate when looking at all kids together. But when you break that down, um, you have some, you have 30, 40 point gaps in achievement simply based on family income. Right, and so um, when we look at our system and we look about you know school finance and where are we incentivizing and what are we going to put into the system, we have to do better with our low-income students, and because if we don't, it our affluent students can do great all the time, and they can they will continue to do well. That's not going to move us as a state if we don't get our low-income students sure. uh, to be uh, more proficient. And there are reasons why it's harder to educate students in poverty. There are a number of systemic challenges that have been in place for decades, but we also know that there's initiatives that really work and that have been proven to work. So what are some of the indicators that that would tell us that particularly the low-income students are, 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 are progressing, are, are helping us kind of move the needle in, in the in a positive direction. Yep. So I mean I think you need to start you start need to start early in the pipeline with with high quality early childhood. Um, it is uh, imperative that uh, all students, but particularly those coming from really challenging circumstances, get into a quality early childhood program, really ideally at age three. I mean we know that ninety percent of brain development happens between ages zero and five. Wow. Um, ideally we'd say, you know, you should need to start at zero. But right. <laughs> um, you know 
getting in a high quality edu early education program in, in age three, continuing that through four and five, what we see is, is our students who are in pre-K are three times more likely to be kindergarten ready. And our students who are kindergarten ready are three times more likely to be reading on grade level in third grade. Third grade is the key grade level and metric for our kids. Uh, because what happens in third grade is that the curriculum takes a shift to where if you don't know how to read in third grade, you're going to fall further and further behind because from K to three, you're learning how to read, right? Mm -hmm. We're learning the foundations of phonics and how kids can learn how to read. But in third grade, you have to know how to read in order to learn your subject. And the ability to catch up is extremely limited. It just, it compounds very quickly. Uh, the further you fall behind. So we've got to make sure that our kids are ready in third grade. And so early childhood is one. And what I would think the, the other thing too is, is that some of those systemic issues that we talked about with facing our kids in poverty is that our school systems um, are set up to where there are uh, incentives in the system, not, not intentional, uh, unintentional incentives in the system for people to, um, for kids to have different experiences and different resources based on the schools that they're in. I think the effectiveness of educators and the preparedness of educators is the clearest uh, example of that. When you have a, a seniority-based pay system for teachers, there's really no incentive for our best teachers to go teach in really high poverty sure. districts. Right. And are, there, are there any other industries that use that kind of model? where it's just based on seniority. Not that I not know that of. Not that I know of, right. So. And so, I mean, if you look, Dallas is the only district in the state. There's a handful of others that do a, a, some type of version of that. Um, but if I'm going to make the same amount of money next year, just because I'm in the seat another year, why would I go work in a challenging environment where I'm going to have to spend a couple more hours a week counseling students, putting in tons more work? It's just human nature is going to take over at some point and say, no, I'm... I, I am passionate about it, but I'm not going to do that for my career, mm -hmm. right? So we have to change the paradigm. We make sure that those kids are getting the most effective educators and getting the resources that they deserve because we do know it takes more to educate students in poverty. Well, I think it's all very fascinating and, and again, um, appreciate the work in this area. And we'll learn a little bit more. We have a few more questions, but before we go there, I'd like to take a quick break for a message from the presenting sponsor of Plano Pulse, Legacy Texas. I want a commercial banker who's all about relationships. Scratch that. I want a commercial banker who's all about results. At Legacy Texas, we're with you. You expect a great relationship from your banker. What they do with it, that's what really matters. We take a business approach to all banking. So whether you're building a practice or expanding your company, you'll appreciate working with a Legacy Texas banker. And you'll appreciate the results even more. Legacy Texas. Change your mind about banks. Member FDIC. Welcome back to Plano Pulse. We're here with Garrett Landry, Senior Officer of Education Strategies at the Williams Fa Family Foundation. Thanks again for joining us, Garrett. Wanted to pick up kind of where we left off and actually shift gears a little bit and talk about the Governor's Public School Finance Commission, uh, who your boss, Todd, Todd Williams, actually serves on. Talk about his role and some of the desired outcomes or his desired outcomes from the work of the commission. Sure. So the School Finance Commission was somewhat of a, a compromise coming out of last legislative session to where um, the House and the Senate agreed that they would form a commission that's made up of part part legislators, uh, part teachers, educators, and then community members um, to study our school finance system, which is antiquated to say the least, and our Supreme Court called it Byzantine, although minimally constitutional. <laughs> um, and so uh, Todd Williams is one of 13 members 
on that commission. And the way that they have broken it down is the commission has a chair, which is uh, former Supreme Court Justice Scott Brister. Sure. And then they've broken into three working groups. And so there is the outcomes working group to which Todd was fortunate enough to be named chair of. And that's really looking at what is our school finance system? What outcomes is our system driving to? Right. So we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, our, right now it's we're pushing graduation rates. There's other things that we're doing really uh, we're really incentivizing. But what, what could our system what inputs could we put into our system to drive the outcomes we want? Um, there's also a um, expenditures working group, which is chaired by um, uh, Representative Huberty, who's looking at really what are we uh, how are we going to spend our money? Right. What, what are we going to spend our money on from the state level? And then there's a revenues working group, which is chaired by um, State Senator uh, Paul Betancourt out right, of Houston, right. which is really looking at where's the money going to come from. Right. I think that there is a general consensus amongst probably at least, you know, 10 or so of the commission that more money is, is needed in education being spent on proven strategies. So we're not talking about blank checks, right. but we're talking about more money on things like, uh, you know, what are the strategies that can drive us to third grade reading on educator effectiveness? right, on making sure that our kids are reading in third grade and algebra one, right? And we look at examples across the state, and you can see very clearly the districts that are doing a lot of these initiatives. And so um, with the outcomes group, they just presented, uh, they passed their recommendations out of their working group, and just a few weeks ago committed to the, or presented to the full commission um, a very detailed policy proposal that has, and it's all, uh, it's all online. Uh, you can go to um, Texas School Finance, if you just, I'm forgetting the website off the top of my head, but Texas School Finance and everything's public record so you can see the presentations there but it's really getting at these the leaks in the system so um, third grade reading incentives mm -hmm. so if districts are performing really well particularly for economically disadvantaged and English language learner students right because we want to make sure that we're putting the right uh, weights on the students that really we need to be focusing on um, you know, we, let's reward districts who are doing really well on, on third grade reading or who, who have made really tough decisions in the past to prioritize this on the front end. So if you look at a district like Dallas, uh, Dallas ISD, Dallas spends about probably $110 million more per year than, say, a Highland Park ISD on strategic initiatives. And it's not that they just have that much more money, but it's they've made, they've made very difficult choices. Sure. Um, they've had to cut some staff. They've changed class size ratios. They've done real tough things to fund early childhood, to fund uh, the evaluation systems that they have in place, to fund things like ACE, which is a strategic staffing model, making sure our students in most need have the most effective educators, to fund things like early college high schools and P-TECH programs, so our kids are getting an associate's degree in high school, which we talked about earlier is so important to their, their future career and their future earning potential. And as a result, their numbers have been going up and up and up. And so to a certain extent, this would reward districts for making some tough decisions in the past, right? Um, other points to look at is, you know, eighth grade, eighth grade reading and eighth grade math. We know that eighth grade math, students who take algebra one in eighth grade, they tend to do really well, right? But we have an accountability system in our state that says that you have to take a math in high school. And so when you're tied to accountability, algebra one is an easier math to take in high school because what's after algebra one? Pre-calculus, right? right? Yep. That's a far harder subject to take. Yeah. And if you're tied to accountability, so our, our, the point is, is our systems right now are pushing districts into making choices that might not be in the best interest of students. So the outcomes group took a holistic view of a whole bunch of things, and that obviously there's we could spend hours just on these recommendations, but it's saying what can the system drive, and what do we want as Texans our system to put to to output. Mm -hmm.
Right, right. So on that, um, in looking at some of the work that you all have done through Dallas ISD, a lot of people ask how much money, how much more money does it take? And um, I thought that part of, of your presentation that I once saw was very interesting that you actually have the data, you have some outcomes that you've already tested, and that you can put a dollar amount in that expenditure to that outcome and help us understand what does that look like so people get an idea of what would it take to be able to really plan for better outcomes. Sure. I mean, so I think it starts with it starts with pre-K. So our state pay, recognizes half-day pre-K. So regardless of whether or not a school district is providing a full-day program, they're going to get reimbursed for half of that day, period, because that's what the state recognizes. So if you look at districts like Dallas and others around the region that provide full-day programs, for half of those programs, half of that money, they're spending out of their general fund, period. So in Dallas, it's about $40 million a year additional spending just to provide full-day pre-K that the state doesn't recognize. Kids are in school for seven, eight hours, but they're only counted as half-day. Um, and so then you look at programs like, if you look at the Accelerating Campus Excellence Program, ACE, which has had tremendous success, you've seen upwards of 70-point gains in just three years in students who are 99% economically disadvantaged. That program provides stipends to effective teachers. It provides wraparound services every single day. It provides three meals a day to students. It provides enrichment, again, every day, social-emotional learning. The cost of that comes to about $1,400 additional per child just for that program. Um, that's a significant cost that when you extrapolate that out, that's about $750 to $1 million per campus. Um, but we have four districts now who are uh, doing this program, Dallas, Fort Worth, Richardson, and Garland. Each of them have multiple campuses, and they're making, they're making tough choices to spend millions of dollars on this program, but they recognize that their kids need this um, and that we, they don't have time anymore to wait for incremental increases because our, our kids are too far behind. And this program has shown that they can catch up in a single year. And it, the best example I have, and I just I, I have to share, is that uh, a school in Pleasant Grove in Dallas ISD, 98% economically disadvantaged, and was on the state improvement required list five years in a row. Sure. Now um, just got higher scores in math than Highland Park ISD. Wow. Which has zero kids oh, in poverty. That's I mean, the outcomes you all have, it, it's pretty impressive. And I'm glad to see it's expanding to other districts mm -hmm. and um, that hopefully other folks will see the results of that within their population. So so is there is there a role for standardized testing or, you know, again, the last session they delve deep into the A through F mm -hmm. grading system for schools. Is there a place for that in, in what we're talking about here? Or, you know, do we throw some of that out to kind of drive for better outcomes? Yeah, I mean, so, so testing, high stakes testing is always going to be uh, a debatable uh, concept. And some of these programs, you know, what we look at, we look at the data that the state collects that is available. And so from the state level, that's gonna be that's gonna be standardized testing data. That's gonna be STAR data and end of course exams, right? Um, but we also look at a lot of other data, climate data that districts share with us, right? So we look at climate survey data, we look at where our teachers are prepared, what programs are they prepared from, how many hours in the classroom did it take for them to become certified? You'd be shocked to know that uh, a lot of our teachers, I won't say most, but a lot of our teachers that come from alternative certification programs spend about 15 hours in the classroom, and some of that can be online before they are teacher of record. Wow. When you talked about, you know, other professions, mm -hmm. be hard-pressed to find other professions that would right. say, here's 15 hours of training online, go be responsible for the minds of 22 kids. Right. Right. 
Um, so th there's we, we look at a whole host of data just to try to, to paint a picture and to make um, to make data available um, for folks. Sure. So I mean, all of this seems overwhelming. I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, thought that goes into this, and a lot of different perspectives and opinions. We at the we at the chamber have have uh, kind of taken a role that we really want to be the voice of the business community on on uh, the issues of public education. I guess the question is, how can the average citizen kind of engage in this process in a way that isn't overwhelming? I mean, what kinds, what role can the average Plano White uh, play to, to, to really help further this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you made a good point about, I think for businesses, and I average that's not, those aren't citizens, but for businesses, you know, this public education and this school finance discussion, this is a work, first and foremost, a workforce discussion. Right, uh, we have to make sure that our kids are, are uh, college and career ready and are getting a certification to enter the workforce. We have a really strong economy, but it is not from our own children. It is from in-migration from other states around our, around our country coming to Texas to work, and that's great. But eventually, that's gonna run out, that's right. or it's going to slow. And if we're not growing our own system here, we're gonna see that economic drop-off pretty quick. Right, so I think that's that's clearly a, a place where, where businesses can get involved because this is the future of their of their business. For the, for the average citizen, what I would say is, it's really um, just asking the tough questions and or asking questions in general to your school districts, um, to your parents or to your kids' teachers about what is going on, what are they learning, um, what are what what standards or accountability are they being held to, um, why are certain decisions being made. I think it's just asking those questions. Um, there's a lot of misinformation and there's just, it's, this is a hard topic, right? So a lot of the listeners probably think that the property tax check that they write every year that's going up all goes to the school district. It's not true, right? When property taxes go up, the state just writes a smaller check. Right. And, and oftentimes they write a lesser check than even the increase that the district's getting from local taxpayers. Right. So your school districts are not out there just wasting money. It's just, that's the systems in place. So it's, it's educating, just asking those questions. If something doesn't make sense, people, well, well, what? My property taxes aren't going to schools, right? Um, and so, and the, other, the last piece too is just your, your legislators make the decisions. And so if there are things that, have, that you are displeased with or unhappy with, ask why people made certain decisions. But at the end of the day, our legislature has to change our school finance system. It's, it's, their, um, it's their game to, to fix. And I would say school finance is obviously very much on our radar and a discussion that we have on a regular basis. And um, it's a very in-depth issue. And like you said, I think that's a great point for citizens to really understand where that tax dollar is going um, and not assume that just because their statement says Plano ISD that all the money is going to Plano ISD. Well, and it's one so. thing to kind of throw your arms up and say, well, my property taxes went up again, you know, grab the pitchfork, let's go run down to City Hall or down to PISD and, and uh, claim foul. But obviously these issues are interconnected and and Garrett, uh, you obviously have a passion for this, and we really appreciate you bringing that passion here to talk with us today, and uh, have enjoyed talking about, at least superficially, about the issues that we have in our public education system. So thank you very much for thank your you time. Thank you all for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Yes. And also just want to say a big thank you to Legacy Texas, our presenting sponsor of Plano Pulse. Uh, the support of our sponsors is critical to this podcast. If you would like to join Legacy Texas as a sponsor, please get in touch with us 
with us at the Chamber for additional details and availability. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Plano Pulse. Please let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to join us for the next episode. Thank you. <music>